Hey everybody, welcome back to Explain Like and Fire, the podcast where we take the questions you always wanted to ask and talk about them in a way that's easy to understand. We are your hosts, I'm Tim. And I'm Kevin. So Kevin, today we're talking about a topic that comes up with a lot of five-year-olds and children in general, which is endangered species. Let's start with this basic question. How do researchers accurately estimate the population of an endangered species in the wild? Oh, that's a good question. So it's a combination of both direct and indirect methods. Direct methods involve things like physically counting the animals, like aerial surveys for, let's say, large mammals. And also indirect methods include things like tracking signs of the species, maybe like footprints or droppings. It's a pretty complicated process overall that requires a lot of expertise and also a lot of resources. Very interesting. Now, what are some of the most critical endangered species in the world today? There are unfortunately many, but some of the most critically endangered include the Amur leopard, the Sumatran elephant, and the vaquita, which is a small porpoise uh, found in the Gulf of California. I've heard about an animal called the axolotl which is a critically endangered species, while it is actually widely available in pet stores. How is that possible? That's quite the paradox, isn't it? The axolotl is a salamander closely related to the tiger salamander. And it is unusual among amphibians in that it reaches adulthood without undergoing metamorphosis. So basically, instead of taking to the land, adults remain aquatic and have gills. So the axolotl is nearly extinct in the wild, but it's bred in quite large numbers for research and for pet trade. So the ones you see in pet stores are usually not the wild type, but rather colored variants that are bred in captivity. Like many amphibians, axolotl don't require much to breed in a captivity. And so for a professional breeder, they're kind of pretty low cost and low effort. So if that's the case, how is an axolotl endangered in the wild? The main reason for that is why they're, you know, is because their natural habitat is pretty much gone. The axolotl is native only to a lake in the Valley of Mexico, as well as the canals and waterways of Mexico City. So in the wild, they are very vulnerable to habitat destruction and pollution. The axolotl is really vulnerable since they cannot even move short distances over land. So with their natural habitat being overrun by pollution, you know, especially from the expansion of cities, they have just nowhere to go. There have also seen some several predatory species introduced into the few lake and canal systems where axolotl populations still exist. So that's why they're basically considered endangered because they wouldn't be able to repopulate on their own in their own habitat, you know, outside uh, captivity. I see. So if we turn to a happier story, a success story, a few years ago, the giant panda was declared as no longer endangered. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, The giant panda is a great example of, of a successful conservation effort. Thanks to habitat protection and breeding programs, their numbers have been slowly increasing. So back in the 1980s, there were as few as maybe 1,114 pandas in China. But the most recent survey in 2014 suggested that there were up to 1,864 pandas now living in the wild. 
And so in 2016, it was reclassified on the IUCN red list from endangered to vulnerable, which is a step up, affirming the decade-long efforts to save the panda. But, you know, they are still considered vulnerable, so the work is not over yet. Well, that is encouraging, and we will come back to the IUCN in just a moment. But first, can you share some other success stories of other species recovery? Absolutely. The American bald eagle, and also the gray wolf in the United States, and the Arabian oryx in the Middle East are all examples of species that have bounced back thanks to great conservation efforts. Now, with these conservation efforts, when they're bouncing back, how does the low population of an endangered species affect its genetic diversity and its survival, therefore, once they are conserved and crossbred and so on? Mm, yeah, the low population does mean less genetic diversity, which can lead to things like inbreeding and also increased susceptibility to diseases. It also makes the species more vulnerable to changes in the environment like climate change or habitat loss. And how do conservation laws and regulations actually help to protect these species? Oh, they're very important because they provide legal protection to species and importantly, their habitats. Uh, it also regulates the trade in wildlife and also the funding for these conservation programs. However, you know, enforcement really is the key to their overall effectiveness. And finally, can you explain the process of how a species is actually declared endangered? Yeah, so that's a scientific process that involves assessing the species' population size, rate of decline, and threats to survival. You know, the body we mentioned before, the IUCN, which stands for the International Union for Conservation of Nature, this IUCN group, they maintain what's called a red list uh, of the threatened species and makes this uh, declarations. I see. Very interesting. Did you learn something new? If you did, send us an email. We are at eli5thepodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you, especially when you have comments and suggestions for us. If you are a re regular listener of this podcast, please do take the time to leave us a rating or a review on Apple iTunes because it really does help other people to discover this podcast, which we really appreciate. As always, thanks to the community at r slash explain like I'm five, and we will see you all next week.